Welcome to Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. This is a true crime podcast. That's right, a true crime podcast. For those in the back, I'll say it a little bit louder. This is a true crime podcast. This show is a show for grown folks. That little E over there next to my podcast, that means that we use some foul language every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Enough to flag it, you know. So, we talk about really generally vile, disgusting, and horrific things. Dismemberment, disembowelment, death in general. Lots of really horrible, terrible things. But we also, like I said, we cover the three key things that everybody in life enjoys. Coffee, true crime, and of course, dumpster fires. So, settle in. Come get warm by the dumpster fire. Make sure don't touch it, though. Don't want you to get burned. Don't want to get sued. Just saying. But, again, all kidding aside, you have been warned. Turn back now if you don't like that kind of thing. And by the way, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. If you don't get that reference, you need to go ahead and turn back now. Otherwise, settle in and enjoy this week's episode of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. This week we're going to talk about something very, very current, uh, which is the Gabby Petito case. So let's get started with the coffee of the week. This week I did a ready-to-drink canned coffee. I think I've done those before, but I've been a little bit lazy, I know, but we'll get back to some some actual whole bean coffee and things down the road. Uh, in the meantime, I, I have a lot of different I have a lot of different roasts and things in the hopper, as it were. Uh, but this week, so I did the Black Rifle Coffee Ready to Drink 300. 300 milligrams of caffeine. Now, for comparison's sake, a normal cup of coffee is roughly 90 to 120 milligrams of caffeine. So do the math on that one. I did the rich mocha flavor, which has um, was actually really good. Uh, right off the, usually you got to get those things cold and that kind of thing. This one I literally got right off the shelf, and at my grocery store I I was doing my regular grocery thing and whatever, and I saw that and. Uh, Needed some caffeine options for the week, and that looked good. Uh, more to-go ca- caffeine options for me throughout the week. So, again, that looked pretty good. Uh, it was obviously, I mean, rich mocha flavor kind of speaks for itself, but it was it was super, I mean, it was really good. It was, again, super kind of chocolatey, and, and I still had the coffee bite and everything, but I'll say this. 300 milligrams of caffeine is for when cocaine is too much, but coffee's not enough. Um, anyway, so that was uh, Black Rifle Coffee Ready to Drink 300. They have a bunch of different flavors, and, and they're all over the place now uh, in whatever store you can find, you know, grocery stores. Uh, they're on the at least in my chain, in the chain of grocery stores that I use, 
I use Publix. Uh, that's a southern thing, really. Uh, but Publix has an aisle uh, has everything labeled you know, on the aisle, whatever, and it says this particular aisle where you'll find these is specialty drinks. There's a lot of really heinous stuff in that aisle, by the way. Um, all of the all of the really gnarly, uh, gruesome looking cans and things. <coughs> hint, hint. Uh, the stuff that you know is chemically laced and full of whatever uh, the carcinogen of the day that'll kill you. So that's where you'll find it. All right. So let's get on with this week's episode of Gabby Petito. So first of all, let's start out, show of hands, yes, I'm raising my hand, and I'm all by myself, I know that, but it, it works, right? Um, if you'll notice, I haven't, been, I, I haven't been dropping episodes regularly. If you notice, my voice is a little bit weird. Um, I've had some things going on, uh, kind of this and that, and can't seem to just quite kick it, but here we are, right? Uh, so anyway, hopefully soon my voice will be coming back to a sort of normal. Uh, if you can define normal, let me know in the comments, by the way. Please, by all means, if you can truly define normal, drop a comment. Anyway, and subscribe and rate the show. All right, now that we got that out of the way. Show of hands, how many of us over the age of like 10 years old have gone on some sort of road trip with the family, right? Mom, dad, brother, sister, if you got them, all those things. Um, and, you know, and, I, and when I say road trip, I mean several hours, more than, I would say more than six hours one way in the car. That's kind of a road trip that everybody's been on something like that. Um, and then a lot of us... Uh, have had the opportunity to take a road trip uh, with a significant other. I've actually done it several times with my, you know, over the last 22 years with my amazing bride. And we tend to get along famously, except on a road trip. Just saying. I, I, love, my, I love my wife. And, but being locked in a car with anybody uh, for several hours on end tends to it, it tends to at times you know you run into different things that are unexpected road construction flat tires technical pro all these different things that sort of they sort of put pressure on not necessarily a relationship but just the interaction the the ongoing interaction but yet we have so we have 22 year old Gabby Petito and her fiance Brian, Brian Laundry, they decided to go above and beyond that you know typical average road trip, uh, and they're going to out. They outfitted a Ford cargo uh, cargo van, kind of more like a. Um, it's like halfway between what what most people would recognize as a cargo van. It's smaller than that, but it's a little bit bigger than a minivan, and they. They retrofitted this thing to to be an RV, basically, and to take a month-long road-slash-camping trip. Not only did they do that, which, hey, more power to people that can do that. 
that's amazing. I couldn't do that. But to then add the element of recording it and putting it on the internet, to me that's insane. You know, and 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 it could be that I'm just getting old because kids nowadays, you guys put everything on the internet, and it's amazing to me that you do that because as a as an adult, there are things in that that I think back to to my life, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so glad there was no internet and no cameras. And a lot of you guys do the same stuff that we did, but now it's like cool and popular, and you guys put it on the internet. It's insane. Um, you know, and, and just remember guys and girls and, you know, teenagers and, and even young adults, just remember, please write this down somewhere. Now, remember I'm recording this, um, on October 10th of 2021. So somebody may be listening to this, you know, in 3030 or whatever, uh, the year 3530 or whatever it is. And they may be listening to this and, but he, the, Heed these words of advice as you listen to this. Um, when you put stuff on the internet, it's there forever. And there's going to be a lot of things in life that you're going to look back on and go, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But now that you put it on the internet, it's going to be there forever. Trust me on that. Um, anyway, so they're they're doing this. They're, they're putting this on the internet for God and everybody to see on on like YouTube and whatever, and out of respect for um, the families, I'm not posting links to all their videos and stuff because I don't, I don't know what family members are in those videos and things, and if they want to be out there in the public eye and those kind of things, I'm not going to post links. You can find them if you want them; they're there, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to facilitate that. Um, anyway, so. Let's break the story down from the beginning. Uh, well, not the beginning. Well, not from birth, obviously. But So Gabby and uh, Brian met at their Long Island High School uh, several years ago. Well, I say several years ago, but they're only 22, so do the math on that. Ultimately, they move in with, they get engaged and move in with Brian's family in Northport, Florida, his mom and dad. And they they retrofit this van and everything, and there's videos of that, of them doing that whole project and whatever. And then they get, they start out on their journey toward the end of June. And all through July, they go through all of these amazing and majestic national parks and things. And they seem to be having a fairly good time and enjoying themselves and all of that. But then in August, about halfway through August, August 12th to be exact, that's when things kind of go, well, they go sort of tits up and they go sideways. Um, and so they're in Moab, Utah. And everybody knows what happened in Moab, sort of. So we look at what happened, you know, look at all the media reports and things, and and they got into quite a little bit of a, they got into a physical altercation. Uh, between the two of them, very public, very uh, in broad daylight, got into this sort of shoving match, and they slapped each other and d- did these different things. Um, you know, they assaulted each other, beat each other up. Not bad. I mean, 
well, it is bad, but not bad in terms of, you know, the degree of injury. So, of course, when you have a public display like that, a shoving match, and it's a guy and a girl, all those things, the cops get called, which they should. Cops show up, and they spend over an hour, probably 90 minutes, I think, with Brian and Gabby, trying to sort out what happened and sort out the best remedy and the best course of action going forward with these two uh, um, with these two parties. They don't know. They don't know these people. They don't know them from Adam. And, you know, and these people that are on the Internet saying, oh, well, you know, she's a clear domestic violence victim and, like, a... a a victim of, of repeated domestic violence in these things. I don't see how you can actually gather that much information to make a and these are these are supposed psychologists and things that have degrees and they're they're making a snap judgment based on a snapshot of roughly an hour of and, and it's not even a really a solid hour. It's I mean you sort of piece together but Roughly an hour's worth of of a video that is not even like full video because when you have a body cam, you're only looking at you know 130 degree view uh, of of what the officer sees. But the officer, a good officer, does what he has what what would be described as his head being on a, his or her head being on a swivel, meaning they're looking around all over and they're they're evaluating things that are going on kind of behind them and to their left and their right outside of this camera shot that you're not seeing and that that can actually truly impact the events going on in the video. So, anyway, having said that, um, you know, and then there's all this this speculation and argument over, well, they should have arrested somebody. No, not necessarily. In fact, well, because when it comes to a domestic violence arrest, which that's what this is, you have to understand that with the law, there is a big, huge chasm between shall arrest and may arrest. The words shall and may in law are tremendous words, and they have a tremendous impact on what the law does. Shall arrest means that you have no choice. A judge, basically the judge is saying at that moment, you shall, or the law is saying that based on based on a set of criteria, you absolutely must arrest someone without fail. Now, may arrest, well, it's pretty self-explanatory, I think, at that point, that if you meet this criteria, you can arrest them, but you still have your you still have officer discretion. So Utah Penal Code, so let's, let's go um, and look at what domestic violence is in Utah, how it's defined, and, and look at shall versus may arrest. So the Utah Code in Section 77-36-2.1 and 2.2, it says, quote, law enforcement officers who respond to an allegation of domestic violence are required to use all reasonable means to protect the victim and prevent further violence. 
Now, that does not say shall arrest. Now, in a lot of states, including states where I've been a police officer and been in law enforcement in general, the law specific in a shall arrest instance, the law says shall arrest, shall be detained, shall be arrested. Um, so domestic violence then is defined as, again, a, a domestic, this is quote, domestic violence offense also means the commission uh, the commission or attempt to commit any of the following offenses by one cohabitant against another now these two are are technically cohabitants really when it comes to the eyes of well they are when it comes to the eyes of the law no matter what because they're living in that van so they cohabitate in that van um so but it, it so it, it defines um, a domestic violence offense uh, is defined as, quote, the commission or attempt to, I'm sorry, I covered that. So then it goes on, quote, aggravated assault, uh, Utah Penal Code 76-5-103-1A3 is, quote, an act committed with unlawful force or violence that causes bodily injury or creates a, a substantial risk of bodily injury to another. Now, that's exactly what happened here. They were fighting with one another in a vehicle, driving down the road, uh, as, as officers are trying to pull them over. So that is definitely going to, has the definite potential to cause serious bodily injury. Uh, the pushing and shoving and smacking, eh, maybe. But... But it's bodily injury. Um, or I'm sorry, it doesn't even say serious bodily. It's just bodily injury. So, you know, ow, that hurt. That's a bodily injury. It's a stretch, but, you know, it is what it is. So in this case, though, after spending 90 minutes with these two people, they decided that the best course of action was for them to separate and they said they would. They would that one was going to go stay in a hotel and the other was going to stay in the van. Um, so in theory, they could have, like I said, very easily arrested one or both of them. But they figured that they're not going to... These kids, these are... Again, they use their discretion. These are 22-year-old kids. And that will destroy their lives. It will ruin their lives to have a domestic violence charge. Um... And, and for what? For a minor tiff that of uh, what from on the surface appeared to be, you know, exacerbated by having spent the last, you know, two weeks or whatever locked in a car with someone. That's what happens. And somebody forgot to turn off the ringer on their phone. I say somebody, but that somebody was me because I'm the only one doing this. Me, myself, and I, the entire crew, all three of us, right? Um, so we're, oh, so they could have arrested them, but they didn't, and they separated them, and they used their discretion, because again, you're looking at these two teenagers, basically, or, or, or these two kids that, again, their situation's been exacerbated by having been locked in a car with each other, or a vehicle with each other for the last however many weeks, T things can get heated, 
And little things can start to add up and bother people, and, it, and sometimes they blow up a little bit. I'm not excusing the fact that they put hands on each other. That's not okay by any, by any means. But what I am saying is, is that you have to look at, these officers looked at the overall long-term impact that these people were going to suffer um, and, and how to best minimize that. And so they let them go. But that, and that decision to let them go, now that Gabby has turned up dead, that decision is going to haunt those officers for the rest of their lives. I guarantee it. As a police officer, you make, you make decisions. You have, sometimes you have mere seconds to make decisions that change your life and the lives of others irreparably forever. And those decisions, good, bad, or indifferent, will stick with you and you will relive them over and over and over again for your entire life. So I can only imagine what these officers are dealing with now. And it kind of unnerves me that now there's an internal investigation. Uh, they're being investigated. I don't really understand for what. And maybe there are policy violations or whatever. I don't really know. But I think to, to suffer an internal investigation now over being crucified in the media I think is a little overboard, but I, what do I know? I'm just, you know, I'm just some dude with a podcast. Um, so, and I think that, and, and speaking of the media, I think that that played a role in their decision because they didn't want to be vilified in the media if they let them go and she lives and they, then then all of a sudden they're in this whole jam of, you know, protesters and everything because, oh my God, they mistreated, you know, they arrest her or they arrest him. Oh my God, they mistreated me. I was so mistreated and I was so misjudged, I was so judged and all these things. So they were, they were, they had the deck stacked against them from go. It was really, un it was just an unfortunate situation to be in. Um, so let's go to now, we'll move a little bit further forward in the timeline. So from August 17th, to August 24th, Brian, I think, you know, maybe trying to be in a position where cooler heads prevail, somehow um, he kind of just craps out this uh, round-trip airfare. I don't, I'm not sure if mom and dad paid for whoever paid for it, doesn't matter. But he came up with round a round-trip ticket for him to go back to Northport and come back to Moab or to Utah um, in Salt Lake City. So what did he do during that time? One has to wonder. One really has to wonder. Nobody will really ever know for sure what he did during that time. Um, I, think he, I think he may have, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to speculate. There's just, you know, and it doesn't really, I don't think that plays into the timeline really or into what happened because it was, uh, it seemed to be a much-needed cooling off, but it didn't quite work out that way. Um, so then he went back and met back up with Gabby around the 24th. So that's when, I guess, Gabby stayed in a hotel in Salt Lake City, it seems, then while they were, um, you know, sort of cooling off. Um, and, and so August 18th, so in, inside of that timeline, you have August 18th, the bodies of newly newlyweds Kylan Schulte and Crystal Turner turn up. Uh, they f they're found in near where Gabby and 
laundry had been camping prior to that. Um, they were riddled with bullets and had been, you know, shot and whatever. And initially, the the media ran with that that they could be connected, but they turns out they weren't. I just wanted to mention it because, and kind of put that to bed because it's out there, and I didn't want you know that anybody to think that I was skipping over anything or anything like that. They did put that to bed though that that Brian and Gabby had nothing to do with that. Um, so then Gabby uploads video on August nineteenth. Showing the their trip so far, and again their trip to that. Uh, well, the video that she uploaded their their uh, their trip was sun sunshine and roses, right? And then on August twenty fifth, uh, was the last voice call. That's the last time anybody that, except maybe Brian, but we can't talk to him because he's on the run like an idiot. Um. You know, like a coward, not an idiot. He's a coward. Um, but that's the last time that anybody heard Gabby's voice uh, for her to be alive. Um, so then on August 27th, uh, 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 Gabby and Brian were seen at a restaurant near Grand Teton National Park called the Mary Piglets. Uh, the Mary Piglets, they were seen there, and they had another really... I, I think that, again, I disagree with trying to diagnose, you know, victims of domestic violence and all these things. That's a, I mean, that's a real thing. Don't get me, don't get me twisted. It's a real thing, domestic violence, and domestic violence victims de definitely have, you know, if they're, if they're, consistently uh, victims of domestic violence. They do have some traits that they display, but to say for, cert for absolute certainty the way that some of these TV psychologists and things have, I kind of disagree with that. It's really hard to just out of one little snippet decide that this is what it is. And I'm not a psychologist. And so may maybe I'm off on that to say that, but I just don't, I I don't agree with it. Because we're just getting, again, that small little snippet. But anyway, so they have... The the one thing I can say, though, is that it's clear after this other this second blow-up at the Mary Piglets, and this got really, really sketchy. You know, he's she's trying to go in and apologize to the staff, and he's yelling at her and all these... And it just was a just a train wreck. An absolute shit show. Um, but the... So... They, it's apparent, though, based on that and and the deal in Moab and all these things, these two people are toxic for each other. They definitely needed to just get the hell away from each other for good. They really needed, Brian really didn't need to come back. He should have just stayed home in Northport and let her figure it out, let her get the van home, do whatever she had to do, and just leave her the hell alone and stay the hell away from each other. Go your separate ways, live your separate lives, because you two are absolutely toxic for each other. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, <clears throat> so now, here's where things get super sketchy on Brian's part. And things just go absolutely off the chain. So, September 1st, 
Brian gets home to Northport without Gabby. She's just not there. Just, uh, just poof, poof, gone, right? Uh, nothing. Not a not a text message, not anything. By the way, um, it should be noted, I, I skipped over this and it is what it is, but uh, there were text messages that talked about um, tell Stan I can't call him back because I've got his, I've gotten his voicemails but I can't give voice calls back and I guess Stan is is Gabby's grandfather I believe and she never would have called him according to her parents you know never would have called him by his first name and those things so that was maybe a distress signal from her um, but they don't believe that there there were other text messages apparently that nobody's really talking about so I don't know the the uh, context of them, but there were other text messages that they don't believe were from Gabby, uh, that they believe were from written by somebody else. Brian, we're looking at you. Brian, hello. Brian, please step out of the shadows. Anyway, so <clears throat> um, Brian gets home without Gabby on, on September 1st. So he just made a 2,400-mile drive. Uh, alone in roughly three days. Now, that's doable for sure. I mean, you could do that. It's 34 hours of actual drive time. What I mean by actual, uh, a minimum of 30, well, not a minimum, but roughly 34 hours of, of actual on-the-road drive time provided that you have ideal conditions. You don't run into really shitty weather. You don't... Um, run into, God forbid you run into construction and just absolutely lose your mind. Um, all these different things are factors, and then you got to figure pit stops for to take a leak and get gas and get food, all those things play into that. The condition of the vehicle, can it even go the speed limit? Again, this is based on traveling the speed limit 2,400 miles. 2,400 miles is going to take 34 hours. <clears throat> um, so, he gets home and goes on a camping trip on this from the 6th to the 8th with mom and dad again why is nobody asking questions that's my my thing with his parents i think his parents are not necessarily well no i think his parents are complicit in this whole thing because how do you not as a parent your kid shows up without the woman he's been living with under your roof uh, and that he's been with on a road trip with. Uh, how do you not ask questions? Right? I mean, how, how does that... How do you not ask some kind of questions? I'm not saying that they didn't, but maybe they did. He went and he cleaned out a storage unit Again, nobody knows what was in that storage unit except for Brian. He just cleaned it out. What he did with the stuff, nobody knows. But cleaned out a storage unit and all these things. And then on September 11th is when Gabby is officially reported missing. So the, uh, and she was reported by uh, her parents in New York. So law enforcement in New York, they call down. And I've been I've been part of these kind of situations. Um, nothing where the person is actually missing or dead. God for well, 
I have had that happen where I, I went to check on someone. Anyway, but they, the, the family in New York calls down to Florida and calls down to the local PD where she's, where's her last known address. They, they find her last known address through mom. And they call up that local PD and say, hey, can you do us a favor? We're looking for this girl. You know, mom thinks she's missing, hasn't heard from her. Can you cruise by this house and maybe see what's up? Maybe see if she's there. If she's there, talk to her, have her call mom and dad. Let us know that she's still alive. And this is the Northport Police Department in this case. And so they cruise on by to the Lander residence, and which is, of course, the last known address for Gabby. They find Gabby's van parked in the driveway, the very van that they'd been traveling in, but no Gabby. Um, and they go up and they knock on the door. Again, I think initially, at least in my experience, it would be knock on the door. Hey, you know, we see that Gabby's back here. She was on a road trip. We see her van's back here. We'd like to talk to her real quick, make sure she's okay, whatever. But they don't even get that far. They, they knock on the door, and no one inside that house is talking. Mom essentially answers the door and says, if you want to talk to Brian, you got to do it through our lawyer. Right, uh, okay, red flag, bing, bing, big red flag, pop, you know, whoo. Now we're just collecting red flags all over the place, right? As if we didn't collect enough leading up to this point. So now, the, so they impound the van, which is smart because it's owned by Gabby, so they can do that. They impound the van, and they call in forensics people to start to go over the van, but there's no crime yet, which again is true because Gabby's an adult. She can, as at that age, you're an adult, you can voluntarily go missing. You can willingly just say, oh, I'm done with life, I'm out, I'm checking out, peace, and be done. Now, family can't declare you dead and collect insurance policies that easily. There's a whole process that they would have to go through. But, and, and not saying that there's money involved in this at all, but just in general, there's a whole process you got to go through. And But it still stands to reason that adults can and do willingly go missing all the time. So, the, but, the, but then we have the $64,000 question is, what is the fact, was Brian even there? Because there, again, there are, there's question as to whether or not Brian came home with them when they went camping through the 8th. Um, or whether or not, or maybe he was getting a head start on law enforcement because he knew what was coming. He may have very well known what was coming. You know, if, if mom, if, if Gabby's mom is blowing up his phone or whatever, and maybe has, uh, maybe they have, um, programs or apps uh there's apps out there i'm not going to name any because i'm not giving any free advertisements but there are apps out there that you can set up with your family or with friends or whatever and they have um full access basically uh to see where you are at any given time they can or where your phone is anyway they can pop your phone and go hey there's where my phone there's where there's where joe schmo is or where you know jane whoever um so but, again, was Brian even there? We don't know. But, again, so um, maybe he was getting a head start. Who knows? Um, and, and, again, like I said, so mom may have seen that Brian was home, and that may be what triggered everything. She may have seen that Brian was home, and 
Gabby wasn't, and, and she was blowing Brian up saying, hey, or trying to anyway, leaving him messages and whatever, which probably happened. I don't know if it did or not, but if I'm a parent, if it's my, I am a parent. I shouldn't say if I'm a parent. I am a parent. So if it's my kid and I see that they were, they had been on a trip with someone and that someone I can, I can see based on whatever, that they're back home and my son or daughter's not with them like they should be, I'm going to be blowing them up. Hey, where's my kid? You know? So now we get to, um, so on September 13th, uh, allegedly, again, nobody knows if Brian was even home on the 11th, but allegedly, Brian goes on the 13th to go take a hike in, um, in the Carlton, uh, in the, in an area of Northport or outside of Northport called the Carlton Nature Preserve. This is 24,000 acres, a little over 24,000 acres of swamp, and I mean unforgiving, gnarly, waist deep, a bunch of different animals and critters that will kill you. Uh, gators, snakes, ball hornets, whatever. All this stuff will kill you. Uh, but this kid goes hiking. Again, that's unusual uh, for anybody that's in Florida that understands, especially that particular reserve, because a vast majority of that reserve during the rainy season, which this is the in September now, in in mid-September, you're at the peak of, of rainy season. That's mostly like waist-deep mud. I mean, like like gnarly, you know, suck your f- suck your boots off your feet when you try and walk through it kind of mud. You know, so I just don't see why he would, on the 13th, why he would go hiking in there. So then supposedly on the 14th, Brian's dad went and found his car at the trailhead um, w- uh, of the Carlton Reserve and left it there overnight. And he said it was too wet and muddy for him to try and go look. What? I'm sorry, but if my kid, if I think my kid is missing, again, same thing, a parent-type parent situation. If I show up to look for my kid because he went hiking, even though I know, even if I know he's an experienced outdoorsman, uh, and being from Florida, most Florida kids are pretty well experienced in the outdoors. Or they keep their fat ass in front of a video game all the time. One or the other, but either way. Um, but if, if he knows that his kid is, is an outdoorsman, even, know, even, though if he, even if he knows he's experienced, you go to the trailhead and it's getting dark. This is a swamp. Your kid's car is unoccupied at the trailhead. In fact, it's been marked by the park rangers to say, hey, this car's been here too long. It hasn't moved. We're going to tow it. So, but he gives up early in that evening and goes back home. So he says, what? Why? What are you thinking? And then they, then ultimately on the 14th, that there's some debate about that too. And, and the timeline that again, the timelines are really screwy with everybody involved uh, in terms of the timelines with the family, uh, with the uh, laundry family. Um, things get kind of weird. So now, on September 15th, Brian is officially a person of interest. Brian's a suspect. Yeah, that's right. He's a suspect. Well, not really. Officially, on paper, he's a person of interest. But he's a suspect. 
Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so on the so on the sixteenth of September, we get the full body cam video from Moab. Again, I'm not going to rehash that. I kind of went over that uh, and and discussed how you know there may be these people that want to say she's a a chronic or you know a habitual domestic violence of, uh, victim and things, and she's playing a victim. I just don't see that. I mean, I see, yes, I see a scared little girl. I see this girl who's scared to death. But, again, she's out of her own element in a relatively strange place, faced with the possibility of arrest, and we're going to say, and, and, you know, and... That coupled with a great deal of stress from all this traveling and surviving and all these things, I don't buy it all the way. Yes, she probably was the victim of domestic violence, but not to the degree I think, you know, the the battered woman syndrome is what a lot of people are trying to equate it to, and I don't necessarily see that. Again, I see someone who's scared to death in a place they don't know, who just had a fight with the only person they're only means of survival, their only companion at, in that time, in that moment, I just don't see it. Anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? So on September 17th, Northport PD shows up to um, the laundry residence and detectives speak with the family minus Brian. Brian is on the run, folks. Psh, hello? Brian is on the run. Okay, anyway, so, and and at that time, they, the detectives talk and, to the family, and they take some, this is uh, important to note, when they walk, when those detectives walked out, they were carrying evidence envelopes, small, env- ev- evident, bleh, bleh, small, thin evidence envelopes. So whatever they took was probably handwritten, or, or not, it may, it may have been, May have gone as far as maybe a thumb drive. Just I'm just speculating based on, on news footage of what I saw them carrying out. They weren't carrying out bags of evidence or anything. They were carrying out small envelopes of evidence. So were they notes? Were they pictures? Were they, you know, they could have been any number of things. But they, they could have been notes, pictures, a suicide note maybe. I doubt it. Uh, I think that would have broken bad at, by now. But, um, you know, uh, plane tickets, uh, uh, bus, ha- bus tickets, uh, thumb drives, any of that kind of stuff, uh, SIM cards, all that, um, all those things could be what you would find in those envelopes. Um, so, again, that's when they officially start and they get search teams now into the, the, the 18th. I'm sorry, on the 18th is when they get search teams into that Carlton Nature Reserve that I talked about. And these people are using, these people, these searchers are having to use like airboats and um, side-by-sides and various other ATVs to get back there. I mean, these are, this is some serious, some serious backcountry. Uh, so, yikes. Now, I don't think, I mean, if he was there, they would, I mean, I don't know. Unless he's in a gator's belly. That could be. Could very well be. 
He could have gotten eaten by a gator. I mean, that's a definite possibility. Don't get me wrong. But the um, at the same time now, the search for Gabby ramps up in the Wyoming wilderness, which is an oxymoron because all of Wyoming is a wilderness. Uh, seriously. Um, you can this th- Wyoming is the only place where you can live in town, walk out your front door, and walk to a hunting spot. Anywhere in Wyoming. I mean, except for maybe in like Laramie, like in central Laramie, maybe. But literally, almost anywhere in Wyoming, you can, and I got, I've got friends that'll back this up, you can walk out your front door, walk 500 yards, and you're in a spot to hunt. Legally, right? So, it's all it's all wilderness with sparsely populated, I mean, you know, sparse population centers throughout. I mean, listen, the county where I live, the county where I live in Florida is by far smaller than Wyoming, but has far more people than the entire state of Wyoming. So go, I mean, you do the math on that one. And we're pretty far spread out in my county. Um, in a lot of places, there's some places where we're sort of dense and I may or may not be able to reach out my bathroom window. And anyway, I'll stop. So um, on September 19th, the FBI says they think they found Gabby's body. They have to confirm the identity and the cause of death are now pending at this point. So on September 21st, it's officially Gabby. And it's officially homicide. Um. So now, again, Brian is a person of interest. A person of interest. Yeah, no, he is, in my brain, he is a suspect. Anyway, um, so it's all official, but yet they're, they're, it's officially homicide, and they're pending the cause of death. The manner of death is homicide. So for those of you that, you know, are, are novices or, you know, armchair sleuths is the word I was looking for. I couldn't figure out the word for a minute there. I lost my train of thought for a second. For armchair sleuths and things, you probably know this. Uh, for those that are slightly uninformed, but I don't think you're uninformed if you listen to my podcast or any true crime podcast for that matter, but I'll give it to you anyway. Manner of death is either homicide, suicide, or accident. Um, generally, those are the three that'll fall under manner of death. So cause of death is what actually killed them. The victim. The victim was shot, stabbed, or even if you got really bashed their head in with a rock, or if you got really creative, they even were poisoned. Again, there you have it. Shot, stabbed, poisoned, the way they were actually killed. So, but he's not, Brian is not officially indicted on that yet. I mean, he still isn't to this day. Uh, but on September 23rd, he's indicted, though, for unauthorized use of a financial instrument. Uh, that's how, I think, anyway, I'm thinking that that's how he got the plane ticket. Uh, maybe I don't know, or or it could be though too. He was using that to pay for the. I don't actually. I take that back. I don't think it was the 
gas. I don't think it was the airline ticket that he used that card for. One can only assume, I mean, it was Gabby's card. One can only assume officially. Nobody knows officially what the name was on the card, under only that it belonged to whatever bank account or whatever bank it was, and that he didn't have permission to use it, and he used it, you know, whatever. But um, unauthorized use of a financial instrument is what he's officially indicted on. Now he's wanted federally. So now we can get the marshals involved and all those people, and believe me, they're involved, even if they're not. The marshals aren't about the the media and necessarily. I mean, they, they are if they have to be, but the marshals are not about getting out in the media and making a big show. They're just going to hunt you down, and they're going to find you. Brian, I'm talking to you. Um, <clears throat> but so on September 24th, there is a $20,000 reward offered for essentially for the capture or recovery of Brian Laundrie. So then on September 25th, what's that? Sm- do you smell that? Do you smell? Oh, wait, what is Oh, do you smell that? That smells like patchouli oil and Aquanet. Maybe even a hint of Vaseline and shame. You guessed it, none other than Dog the Bounty Hunters, now on the case. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, no. No, it, well, he really is on the case. In fact, he showed up, uh, f- he showed up at the laundry house on September 27th. This is where where I, I kind of, I said, let the dog and pony show begin. Pun totally intended there. As dog goes and he knocks on mom and dad's door, only to have them... Rem- only to have the have mom and dad call nine one one to have him removed. Um, that's awesome, you know. Dog always gets his man. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, so the the let me explain though, just to clarify, a bounty hunter and what that is, what that technically is, and a bounty hunter and a bondsman, and how he's technically both. But not in this case. He's not even technically really legally a bounty hunter in this case. I don't think anyway. Maybe he has a license, but I doubt it. I looked and couldn't find one. Um, but but anyway, so he... A, a bounty hunter... So when you are arrested, and the judge says... You know, and they, they bring you before the judge and says that you can be released on a let's say, $100,000 bond for easy, nice, round numbers. So, okay, so now you, you're arrested. The, the bond is set at $100,000. You call mom, dad, husband, whoever. You call up your buddy Joe and say, hey, man, you need to call a bondsman. I need, you know, it's a $100,000 bond. The bondman, bondsman comes down, and you have to give him cash or some kind of surety or your car or some sort of collateral um, sometimes they, they're required to be a cash-only bond. Uh, but then, then you have to obviously come up with the cash. But uh, you have to come up with 10% generally. Sometimes more, sometimes less. just depends. Well, I think the law actually is in Florida is 10%. But you, you have to front to the bondsman 10% of whatever that bond is. So ten grand in this case, in my scenario. So you have to front that money to the bondsman he holds on to that as collateral for the 
for you to go show up in court the next time you're due. And he goes, but before you're released, he goes to the court and puts up that $100,000 as surety that you're going to be there. And so when you skip out and you disappear after you post your bond, well, that bondsman is out that money until he drags your ass back into court. Um, so that's where they call a bounty hunter. Because now there's a bounty out, and he gets the bounty hunter, if they recover you and get you back to jail, where inevitably they'll post another, whatever. It's a, it's a vicious cycle and it sucks, but they'll, the, the bounty hunter gets you back to jail somewhere, and lo and behold, he gets a percentage of that bond money that was put up by of that of that ten percent, so of that ten grand that was put up, when he finds you, when the bounty hunter finds you, he gets a percentage of that uh, of that ten thousand dollars. That's how the that's so hunting you down and all those things. That's how uh, how a uh, bondsman, how the dog, the bounty hunter show and everything else. How that works. It's important to know that because now you have dog, the bounty hunter out hunting for this guy. And he doesn't have, there were some certain legal protections and restrictions, both. It's a double-edged sword. So there were things that he couldn't do that he couldn't do if you were out on a bond to, to go find you. But there are certain things that he could do if there's a bond for you. Like he can go to your residence and if you skipped out, he can go legally as a bounty as a legal bounty hunter he now has carte blanche to show up at your once you skipped out and the judge has issued a bench warrant for you he has carte blanche to go kick in your front door of your last known address as long as he can confirm that it really was your address that's the important part but sort of nuanced i guess but he can kick in your front door and snatch you up and take you to jail he can't do that he, he can't go kicking indoors here so I, I hope I, I imagine he knows that, but I really think that this was was his. He was sort of clawing at his last uh, few minutes of fame. I believe that's that's just me trying to revamp his his name and his show and get things out there because I think his viewership was perhaps dwindling. I don't know. I don't follow the guy. I don't care. I think it's cheesy. That's just me. Um. So, I mean, he's just two steps above Patty Mayo. And for those of you that don't know, go Google that, and you're welcome. Um, make sure you Google the whole story, though, because he's not really a bounty hunter. Neither here nor there. All right, so, but speaking of 911 calls, you have 46 calls for service to that house, the laundry residence, between September 10th and September 27th, most of which were actually pretty heavily redacted, so you don't really know. They weren't releasing any records prior to the 10th, but um, they you don't really know what... So these are not necessarily all 911 calls. They could be what are called self-generated. The officers were driving by, and they saw something out of the ordinary. They stopped. They logged the call uh, for tracking and whatever they called the dispatcher. So once they call the dispatcher and say, hey, I'm at this place, that generates a call for service in that address. 
So that could be any number of things. But still, it's fairly unusual. 46 calls in 17 days? Really? That's nuts. Uh, so, who knows? So there you have it up through September the 27th, really up through even October the 10th. There really haven't been very many developments other than, you know, the random Bigfoot-type sightings of this guy. Nobody's really saw him that we know of. I mean, there's the guys up in North, the one guy up in North Carolina that, that definitely genuinely believes he was up there. But there's been no confirmation from law enforcement on that, that he was up there in North Carolina. There's been sightings like in Baker, Florida. One guy claimed he had him on his trail cam. You know, and these are like Bigfoot-looking pictures, so I don't know. Um, it's hard to tell. The, but the long and the short of it is, is this guy is on the run. So he's got something to hide. If he's not on the run, he still has something to hi- had something to hide, and he killed himself somewhere. And his corpse is rotting in, in perhaps the swamp somewhere. I don't know. But he's gone, and he's on. he went on the run because of something to hide. That's all I can think. I mean, that's, that's all that anybody with, you know, five brain cells to rub together can really deduce, is that he's on the run. So we'll see. Um, did mom and dad help him get us? Get, so these are, again, did he kill her intentionally? Did, he have, did they have another one of their heated arguments? And it led to some kind of an accident. Could have happened. Pushed her over. She hit her head, et cetera. But I mean, that's the cliche. But, I mean, my money is on intentionally. Me personally, we'll see. We, we, we never know. Um, but some thoughts. These are personal tinfoil hat thoughts of my own. Uh, did mom and dad get him a head start? I believe you bet your sweet ass they did. Uh, just, I mean, again, the the timeline and nobody wanting to talk and all these things, and then all of a sudden they're talking because, you know, oh, well, he's gone. I don't know what happened. Um, who knows? And speaking of the parents and tinfoil hats and all that stuff, there's one little thing that's been floating out there that I, you really got to have a tinfoil hat on pretty tight for this one. And I don't believe, so I don't have mine on because I don't buy this one totally. But it's been it's been said and been speculated that uh, mom and dad, mom and dad laundry, are feeding bits and pieces of the inside baseball to Dog the Bounty Hunter. And they're doing that in order to make sure that Dog is the one that catches him. Because if Dog catches him, He'll be able to get his tell his story, and he'll be able to do it very publicly, and be able to set a narrative for going forward for when he has to go to court and all those things. That's my opinion. I mean, that's what I think would happen. I don't think this is what's happening, but I think it's plausible. Um, again, I don't have my tinfoil hat all the way on. Is it plausible? Yeah. Is it likely? Not very. I don't think. Um, so, anyway. That's where we stand this week, and uh, I hope to be back on a regular schedule again soon. Uh, In fact, coming out next week, perhaps. Uh, We'll see another episode. We'll get uh, an episode, perhaps, on The Killdozer. Uh, Look forward to that one, guys. And uh, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, don't get zipped in. And in the words of Alfred Hitchcock, everyone enjoys a good murder provided he's not the victim.